Many gay and bisexual men, dissatisfied with modern religions that struggle to accept and condone us, are hearing the call of the old gods, those gods and religions of antiquity that embraced us and recognized our inherent spirituality. While modern religions debate our worth as lovers, as priests, as sexual beings, the old gods and the old religions embraced us as sacred. We were their shamans, their priests, the intermediaries between the gods and mankind. Many of the gods themselves were homosexual, bisexual, or transgendered. These gods were untamed, vibrant, and sexual. Accept their call and their healing embrace. These are the Male Mysteries, and I'm your host, Male Mystery. Welcome to Episode 9 of the Discovering the Male Mysteries podcast. I'm your host, Mel Mystery. Today, I'll be talking about werewolfism as a metaphor for homosexuality. I'll be talking about the mythological connections between lycanthropy and GLBT folks, and I'll be talking about werewolves and other similar creatures in general. There are many gay and bisexual men out there who resonate with werewolves and other types of man-beasts. Perhaps you were Team Jacob during the Twilight craze, or maybe you've gotten into MTV's gay-friendly Teen Wolf series with its assortment of wolfy eye candy. Or maybe you were into werewolves before being into werewolves was cool. If you're not into werewolves and lycanthropy, maybe you're into wolves themselves or other animals. There's definitely a gay and bi male subculture into bears. If any of these topics makes you howl with pleasure, then this episode is for you. And let's not forget that lycanthropy isn't the only dramatic transformation a human can make. Perhaps there's something in this episode for the transgender, too. There are some people out there who consider werewolfism to be a metaphor for puberty. If you think about it, during puberty the body changes, hair starts to grow in before unknown places, and the adolescent begins to feel all these heightened urges and emotions that were not there before. There are others who have made the connection between werewolves and homosexuality. Coming to terms with being gay is like puberty on steroids. Besides the fact that many GLBT folks begin to discover their sexuality at puberty, there are many common traits that the GLBT person has traditionally shared with the werewolf, though some of those traits are less pronounced as GLBT folks are becoming more accepted in society. The werewolf is unique. He's not like others. He's different from even his own parents. Usually the werewolf doesn't know what's going on when he first starts becoming a werewolf. He may be scared of what's happening to himself. He may even be angry or in denial about the process. He may try to repress this side of himself and try to be a normal human instead. He has to hide this part of himself or risk being pursued by ignorant and angry villagers. His own friends and family may be among them. He lives out a secret life and may seek out and find others like himself, others who are ostracized and who live the life of a normal human by day and werewolf by night. Werewolves are usually male, though there are exceptions. In many modern representations, they often have trouble keeping relationships with women, either because of their savagery in wolf form or because they start to transform whenever they start to get intimate with a female. Maybe they're excited or perhaps some subconscious part of themselves knows that their passions lie elsewhere. They rarely have these same problems around their male buddies. In some modern interpretations, werewolves are bisexual and polyamorous. 
in at least one traditional werewolf transformation ritual. The person seeking to become a werewolf chants, make me a werewolf, make me a man eater. This can have different meanings to different people. I personally prefer the erotic oral connotation. In mythology, stories about werewolves have been around since at least ancient Greece, though even before that, ancient shamans and hunters probably wore wolf skins as a form of synthetic magic to help with a hunt or to save off being hunted themselves. In ancient Greece, Lycaon, king of Arcadia, served a meal to the Greek god Zeus made with the human flesh of his son Nictimus to test if Zeus was really a god. As punishment for this, Zeus resurrected Nictimus and transformed Lycaon into a wolf. Lycaon's name is where the term lycanthropy comes from. There may also be a hidden homosexual element to the story. In many Greek myths, resurrection is used as a metaphor for homosexual initiation. In a similar story, King Tantalus kills his son Pelops and tries to feed him to the gods. The gods resurrect Pelops, who is then taken as a lover by Poseidon. Perhaps Lycaon's resurrected son was taken as a lover by Zeus. The mythical founders of Rome, Romulus and Remus, were said to have been raised by a she-wolf. King Numitor of Alba Longa was deposed in a coup by his brother, who seized the city and killed all of Numitor's male heirs. Numitor's daughter, Rhea, conceived the twins Romulus and Remus, who were fathered by either the god Mars, or in some stories, by the demigod Heracles. As rightful heirs in line for execution, the twins were abandoned as newborns. A female wolf found them and suckled them, until they were later found by a shepherd and his wife, who raised them to adulthood. Eventually they discovered their true origins, returned King Numitor to his throne, and set out to found their own city. In the process they had a disagreement and Remus was killed. Romulus then founded his city and called it Rome. There are some who speculate that the story was actually a metaphor for homosexual initiation into a cult of Mars. Wolves are sacred to Mars because of their hunting and warrior prowess. The she-wolf in the initiation may have been a man wearing wolf skins, and the suckling may have been oral intercourse. In many tribal cultures, semen was likened to milk and was believed to have magical and life-giving powers. Semen was also believed to pass on a warrior's manly virtue and vitality. In Norse history, the Norse god Freyr was worshipped in his phallic aspect by gender-variant male priests. These priests wore feminine attire and rang bells. They also assumed the passive role in homosexual fertility rituals, a sacred marriage between themselves and the god Freyr. By surrendering themselves to passive intercourse, they became a channel for the divine. These priests performed a feminine form of magic called Seether, associated with Freyr's sister Freya. They also performed shape-shifting rites and bore masks. Some of these men were said to undergo a gender transformation every nine nights. At that time, they would go out hunting men in the same manner as a werewolf might hunt victims. Other such gender-variant priests would undergo shamanic or astral journeys in the form of animals, particularly the falcon. Induction into Norse warrior bands may have involved homosexual initiation. The wolf warrior bands were called the Ulfhednar and also the Vargar, meaning wolf-coated men and wolf warriors respectively. These Norse warriors wore wolf skins when they entered battle. Similar to this are the berserkers, Norse warrior bands who wore bearskins unto battle. These warriors fought in a trance state with an uncontrollable fury and were highly resistant to pain. Their name eventually gave rise to the term berserk, meaning to be frenzied, wild, and deranged. These warrior bands are closely related to the Norse god Odin. Celtic mythology has many tales of shape-shifting. 
Some characters in Celtic myth have the ability to transform themselves into all manner of animals and plants, including birds, fish, boars, otters, wolves, and even a grain of wheat. In other cases, they may be transformed as a part of a curse. The Celts had their own wolf warrior bands, known as the Bleden or Wolf. These bands were also said to engage in shape-shifting and homosexual initiations. Unlike the Greek and Norse cultures, it was not considered shameful to be the passive participant in homosexual relations. In fact, accounts of Celtic warriors indicate that many were openly bisexual with both male and female lovers. In Europe, people believed to be werewolves were persecuted along with those believed to be witches. Some alleged witches were also accused of wolf riding and wolf charming. This involved selling charms to either ward off wolves or more malevolently to cause wolf attacks. People accused of being witches and werewolves were also often accused of some other form of, of deviance, including sexual deviance. Ways one might become a werewolf parallel some of the ways someone becomes gay, bisexual, or transgendered. Someone may be born that way. They may be bitten by another wolf. Uh, for GLBT people, bitten could be a metaphor for sexual intercourse. Or they choose to become a werewolf through some spell, ritual, or enchantment. Another way one can become a werewolf is to be overcome by one's carnal addictions, whether bloodlust, sexual lust, or some other immoral compulsion. Werewolves are often sexual or moral deviants, at least in comparison to good Christian folk. One last way one can become a werewolf is as a part of a curse or a punishment by a god, goddess, or other magical person for one's misdeeds. Werewolf rituals sometimes involved a salve or ointment similar to the witch's flying ointment, which was applied to the man's naked body. The salve is made of many substances, including poisonous and hallucinatory herbs. In many cases, when someone transforms into a wolf, they do so in a wolf circle. They leave their clothes in the circle and must return to them in order to become human again. Transformation can include achieving a full wolf form, becoming some kind of wolf-human hybrid, a wolf-man, uh, wearing a wolf pelt as a mask, or shamanic astral travel. That's a very rare piece. It shows the wolf in the pentagram, the sign of the werewolf. Werewolf? What's that? Oh, that's a human being who at certain times of the year changes into a wolf. You mean runs around on all fours and bites and snaps and bays at the moon? Oh, even worse than that sometimes. Joe, I'm a werewolf. You think I didn't notice all the hair on your clothes, chasing cars when we're on dates, that weird marking your territory thing? <clears throat> so, you're okay with this? Why do you think I always bring a frisbee when we hang out?
talked a bit about the history and mythology related to werewolves, but what if you're a modern man drawn to wolves, werewolfism, or feel you might have the soul of some other type of animal? The first thing you might want to do is adopt the wolf or other animal as a totem. Look up the characteristics of the animal online or in books. Look up both what it means to have this animal as a totem, and also just find out about this animal in general. See if you can find documentaries or even YouTube clips on the animal. If you can, watch the animal in the wild or go to a zoo. If you really want to resonate with the animal, try shape-shifting. By this, I don't mean to suggest that you can physically turn into the animal, but you can resonate with the animal in your mind. Shape-shifting is a psychological exercise where you mentally take on the characteristics of the creature you want to understand or emulate. Walk around like the animal. React like the animal. For a time, you are the animal. You may even decide to dress up as this animal, much like the historical shapeshifters wore animal skins to take on the animal's qualities. In doing so, you change your state of consciousness to another form, to that of the animal. What do you see differently about your life because of this change in perspective? Perhaps this change in perspective can help you find a solution to a problem or issue. The wolf, the bear, and the otter are considered gay archetypes. In gay lexicon, bears are stocky, heavy-set, and or muscular gay men with lots of body hair who project an image of rugged masculinity. The bear totem is wise, healing, introspective, and self-sufficient. He is protective, playful, and loving. 
Otters are slim, hairy gay men, and wolves are older, hairy dominant men who aggressively seek out other male partners. As an animal totem, the wolf is a free spirit. He's intelligent, cunning, and courageous. He can be a lone wolf or a loyal member of the pack. The otter totem is playful, faithful, and sensible without suspicion. If you're really into werewolves or think you might have the soul of a wolf or other animal, then you might want to get involved in the werewolf subculture. Yes, there actually is one, or actually a few. At the very least, there are werewolves, therianthropes, also known as therians, and furries. There is some overlap in these groupings. Anecdotal evidence and a handful of surveys suggest that there may be more than a fair share of gay and bisexual men involved in these werewolf subcultures. A furry is someone who likes animals and identifies with them. They are interested in anthropomorphic, often cartoonish animals, fictional animals that share both human and animal characteristics. Furries tend to have a sense of personal identification with their animals, and they may adopt totemistic beliefs. They may be a modern equivalent of ancient shamans and warriors who wore actual animal skins to connect with their totems. Many furries wear ears, tails, or other costuming to assume the look of an animal. This is the largest of the werewolf-type subcultures, but they are also more of a fandom. A furry may or may not take their interest beyond that of fandom and role-playing and they may or may not include sexual activities in their furry interests and activities. Therians are people who think they have the soul or personality of an animal, either in whole or in part. Therians do not consider themselves like werewolves or other werebeasts. They do not consider themselves humans who change into animals, but animals who were born into human bodies. They are similar to the other kin subculture who believe they have the souls of mystical creatures like fairies and elves. They can also be likened to the transgendered, such as a biological man who believes he has the soul of a woman trapped inside his male body. Therians may engage in mental shape-shifting exercises, but few actually believe they can transform physically. Many take their beliefs to spiritual levels and they may hold shamanistic and totemistic beliefs, or they may believe that they are an animal reincarnated as a human. The werewolf subculture, also known as shifters and lycanthropes, is a newly evolving subculture, similar in some ways to the vampire subculture. It is largely made up of teens who were inspired by the Twilight and Underworld movies, but there are adults involved too. Some of these people think they really are werewolves, but others don't believe in actual werewolves, but think werewolves are really cool nonetheless. While many are just fans of werewolves in the modern media, there are at least some who are interested in authentic werewolf folklore, paganism, and more magical and spiritual aspects of the werewolf. Unfortunately, this subculture isn't well represented online, or at least I couldn't find out much about them, but perhaps this will change in the future. I did find at least one pagan werewolf site called the Werewolf Cathedral at www.werewolfcathedral.com. I also found the following werewolf creed written by someone named Del Goetz in 1988. It goes, Respect the elders, teach the young, cooperate with the pack, play when you can, Hunt when you must, rest in between. Share your affections, voice your feelings, leave your mark. If you're really interested in wolves or werewolves and want to meet with other like-minded folks, you may want to start your own wolf pack that meets on the nights of the full moon, or perhaps the weekend closest to the full moon. This group can be specifically GLBT, pagan, werewolf, therian, furry, and so on, or you can open it up to a broader audience, including other animal types, like lions and tigers and bears. Oh my! Your group can range from people who just like to watch werewolf movies and shows, to people who want to study folklore related to wolves, werewolves, and lycanthropy, 
to people who actually want to hold werewolf rituals every full moon. If your group is made up of gay and bi men, polyamorous folks, or sexual fetishes, you could even make your monthly socials even more wild and animalistic, if you know what I mean. Wink wink. There's probably much more that could be said about gay or werewolves, and even more that can be said about werewolves in general, but I'm going to leave it at that for today. Perhaps in the future I'll do another episode on the topic, and I do plan to write a more in-depth ebook on the gay werewolf connection. I'm going to wrap up this episode with my own experience with a werewolf ritual. On a full January wolf moon, not too many years ago, I was involved in a werewolf ritual performed by a pagan men's group I was involved in. We had found an authentic werewolf ritual in a book of magic and decided to give it a try. We met on a private beach near the ocean and created a circle. We mixed the ingredients listed in the spell book. To be fair, we made some substitutions. Instead of cat's fat, we used Crisco, and I'm not sure if all the herbs we used were kosher. We brewed the ingredients in a pot over an open fire on the beach while we danced around the flame. We had one of our members act as the guardian of the circle. He was the one who got to wear the wolf mask. We took off our shirts and danced around the fire chanting the words from the spell. Make me a werewolf. Make me a man-eater. The experience was very surreal. Some of the men went into a trance state, though to my knowledge none of us turned into a werewolf that night. But then again, who knows. Thanks for listening to today's show. Just a reminder for folks that I have an online store now. You can find a link to my store on my main show site at http colon backslash backslash melmystery.matrixworks.com. That's http colon backslash backslash m-e-l-m-y-s-t-e-r-y dot m-a-t-r-i-x-w-e-r-x dot com. In the store, I have a free-to-download pamphlet on GLBT paganism with a brief overview of how GLBTs fit into various pagan traditions. I also have an expanded ebook on the topic for sale on the site for the outrageous price of only $3. I'm in the process of writing a much longer ebook on gay and bi men's rites of passage. I've gotten the first three or four chapters done, but it will still be a while before this is available, possibly even another year or two. There's still lots of research and writing to do. I'm also planning to write a much shorter e-booklet on GLBT lycanthropy, expanding on the topics in this podcast. Because it's going to be a short e-booklet, I'm hoping it will be available within the next three or four months. To stay in the loop on these e-books and other news, please join my podcast as well as my blog as I'll make periodic updates. I may even share some book excerpts on my blog. Also in my online store are digital downloads of some of my photography, including a nude wolfman. The preview picture of the wolfman is censored. If you purchase the photo, you will see the full Monty. There are some quirks with the store software, so if you have any problems, just email me and I'll make sure you get your product. That's it for today's show. Until next time. Once upon a time, an old man and his grandson were sitting on a porch. The grandson looked up and said, Grandpa, will you tell me a story, please? The old man just smiled and said, Do you know, son, inside each one of us there is a battle every day, a battle between two wolves. Yes, my son, there are two big wolves inside each one of us. One of them is evil, filled with anger, envy, jealousy, cruelty, resentment, 
while the other wolf is good, filled with love, hope, generosity, empathy, compassion, faith, kindness. The grandson looked confused and was silent for a moment. Then he looked up and asked, Grandpa, who wins? The old man replied, The wolf you feed the most, so make sure you feed the good wolf with your good deeds, my son. Thanks for listening to the Discovering the Male Mysteries podcast. I'm your host, Mel Mystery. You can find out more about the show, including links to my blog and store site at http colon backslash backslash m-e-l-m-y-s-t-e-r-y dot m-a-t-r-i-x w-e-r-x dot com. That's http colon backslash backslash melmystery dot matrixworks dot com. If you would like to submit original poetry or music, suggest a topic, guest host a segment, or share information relevant to listeners, you can find more information on how to do so, including my email address on the Mail Mysteries website. Thanks for listening.